Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Osmo NFL Strategy Show. Third one of the year, coming in hot today, talking game-by-game matchups. One of the most fun days of the week because we can go through every single game, touch on everything, tie up some loose ends from earlier in the week, and get you ready for Sunday. I'm Dave Lockman. With me for the first time on the NFL Strategy Show, Matt Savoka. Matt, is it Savoka, or do you pronounce it some different way that I may be butchering this soon? You absolutely nailed it. Nailed it. I, I got to say it. Like, I, usually people come in with their, there's all sorts of Sokovas, Savakas. No, you're perfect. Right off the money, right off the bat. We're in midseason form already, Dave. Beautiful. Feeling good about it. Happy to have you on the show with me, man. Uh, for those of you that don't know Matt, this guy knows his NFL. He's doing an awesome matchups column uh, on the site. Check that out if you haven't done so yet. Follow him at Draftaholic on Twitter. If you're not following me yet, at Lafay underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. But come on, if it's been this long. I don't know what to tell you. If you're not using Twitter for football and basketball, too, uh, it's definitely a, a fantastic way to, to make life a little bit easier. By the way, before we jump in here, we will have, we already have, we're going to have plenty of showdown content on the site today. This is going to focus on Sunday's main slate, and I think rightfully so, because while you have one game tonight, we're going to have the uh, the live before lock. That'll be at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, Chiefs and Texans. That'll be Alex Baker, Osimo himself, and Kyle Dvorak, who you met yesterday on the strategy show. So check that one out, 7.30 to 8.30, live before lock. And I believe, I believe Josh Engelman has already put some showdown slates, uh, showdown videos, short videos up on the site. He put a ton of time into them, uh, even built out a showdown slate model for NFL simply and strictly to do this. And then obviously to win himself and you guys some money as well. So all of that, youtube.com slash awesome. And all of our showdown articles are up on the site as well. But Matt, we dive into it here kicking it off with Miami and New England. We're going to go game by game. Uh, Hopefully you're as excited as I am for this. The the New England Patriots have an entire redesign outside of Bill Belichick. Tom Brady, who's been there for a millennia, is gone in Tampa Bay now. Cam Newton takes over under center. He is the team's quote-unquote captain. You've got Julian Edelman, who should likely get a ton of opportunities this year because 
outside of like Mohammed Sanu gone, Nikhil Harry, what do you make of somebody like him? It's tough to say. Uh, I think they're going to need to try and get him uh, involved on the deep ball. And then two rookie tight ends who we've seen nothing from yet. And then I'll cap it off with this outside of James White, who's going to be used as an extension of the run. Sonny Michelle has not been healthy and his efficiency last season was lacking to say the least. So let's kick it off with the, with the uh, new England Patriots relatively decent favorites here against Miami, but I think many people expected them to be favored by more. They're laying six and a half points, 42 point total here at Gillette stadium. Yeah, I actually think the spread is fairly fair at this point. Yeah, I think probably the public feels that it should be a little bit larger. Um, one thing that I said in the matchups column that I really feel strongly is about is that I think Belichick and the uh, Josh McDaniels offense is going to completely change for Cam Newton. I know some people have said that, you know, they're basically going to stick to their laurels here. I just think it's it's going to be a completely different show in New England, starting with the goal line. I think Cam Newton is still the goal line back. So as you mentioned, James White's going to be an extension of the run game, but I really think that he's going to be used more as a 2018 Christian McCaffrey role, more than uh, sort of an outlet back that we saw for Tom Brady. Uh, that said, though, I still think Bill Belichick and company come in uh, just as hot as they usually do. They're eight and two in the last week ones. Uh, they just usually outcoach their opponent coming into the season. And I think Cam is going to be just as good as Tom Brady in that regard, leading the new game plan. Someone mentioned Steve, uh, one of our regulars here. Appreciate you, Steve. Mentioned in chat, Edelman limited yesterday in practice with a knee. Yeah, but that's on the the Patriots family crest. You know, everybody's questionable until Sunday. That's right, just the right. way. <laughs> that's just the way this team is. Uh, Julian Edelman's going to be perfectly fine. Uh, limited in, in in terms of coming into practice. He, I have no concerns about that. Do Do you look at New England as a team that we should be targeting, uh, knowing that if you pull up our ownership and disclaimer, as always, we're going to have. Uh, a lot of adjustments throughout the week. Ownership always changes, especially with football, where we're putting them out on Tuesday or Wednesday morning. Uh, right now, the ownership coming in for this Patriots team is not high at all. Uh, let me filter them now. So you've got the Patriots defense as the highest owned of anyone on this Patriots team. Cam Newton's coming in at like 7%, Edelman at 7%. So they're not entirely overlooked. But this team's not getting a ton of looks early on as, as we go into Sunday. I think it probably is a little bit overlooked. Uh, Miami ranked last in defensive DVOA last year. And yes, they added some really good pieces. They added the Cowboys' Byron Jones. They added a first-rounder, I'm going to butcher this name, Noah Igbenogene in the first round. Kyle Van Noy, Emmanuel Ogba, and Shaq Lawson. These are playmakers, uh, at least in the past. So I think there's a little bit of disconnect between what Miami was and what Miami is. That said, I still think Cam is going to get the most out of, especially Edelman and White. To I think the, the game is theirs, pretty much in the bag from the start. <laughs> Can you make an argument for a game stack here, uh, looking at maybe Newton with Edelman and James White, or maybe you even throw Harry in there? with Edelman and then run it back with someone for Miami? Because the question here really is like, do we have any faith in Devonte Parker going up in a very difficult matchup against Stefan Gilmore? No, um, not to mention <laughs> that Parker 
has like has legitimately been limited in practice. Uh, he hadn't practiced in I think two weeks, um, so th- that's somewhat of a concern there. Preston Williams dealt with an injury last year. He, it's assuming he'll be back, no issues here, should be set to go for week one. Uh, and then Mike Gusecki, who had the second most deep targets of any tight end last season, really was heavily involved over the second half of the year. Some would argue there's a correlation there with Preston Williams going down and uh, Gusecki's target share going up. But I think a lot of that has to do just with the simple maturation process at a tight end position that as a pass catcher takes a little while to get into the groove over your first couple of seasons. If we are running it back, knowing that in tournaments, it's it's very difficult to win uh, GPPs, especially large field GPPs without having some form of stack, even if you're going quarterback, two pass catchers, one receiver or one tight end, or even one running back coming on the other side. Um, Where would you look towards on Miami? Yeah, I think it's Gusecki. I mean, it, we don't know if it's going to happen in week one. I mean, we haven't seen any preseason, but I love that stat from uh, the strategy show yesterday that said that Gusecki ran the most slot routes since Tony Gonzalez. So really, he's being used as a really hybrid role. And I wonder if, because of the low ownership, something like Harry and Gusecki, is gonna, you're going to be flying solo with something like that uh, running back. So I actually look there. Um, and then Preston Williams, just like you said, the matchup between Gilmore and an injured Parker is enough for me to stay away. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, and then in the backfield, there's just not a lot of certainty here. Uh, I'm not convinced that the Patriots defense is as good as they were last season because they played a lot of bad teams, but Miami isn't exactly a, a murderer's row of talent here. Now, I'm a big fan of Brian Flores. I am. I, I think that he's a quality coach, and I really believe these players like him and want to play for him. We saw that late in the season, specifically going four and four over their final eight games. They didn't give up on the season. They came in, played spoiler, and beat up on a Patriots team that was vying for home field advantage. So, look, all of that's in the past. All of that's meaningless. And as you pointed out, this is a Miami team that has uh, that has revamped much of what we've seen in previous seasons, but. At the same time, uh, I definitely think the run game is a little bit too ambiguous for me to get to at the current time, just knowing that Jordan Howard, not a big efficiency guy, but he can be used. Matt Breida when he's healthy, which seemingly is never. Now, he's always on the field. It just never seems like he's fully healthy, has also put up some decent production in San Francisco. I just I get the feeling right now that you're going to see much of an all out timeshare. What about you? Yeah, I'm really not looking at either person in the backfield. If there is one, I guess it's a lean towards Brita because he can he can break a home run. Uh, he's one of the fastest ball carriers in terms of uh, miles per hour, according to Next Gen Stats. But one thing you mentioned is Brian Flores' philosophy as a coach. He is one of the top five coaches in terms of early down, true early down pass rates, which is one of the uh, – condition-specific looks, uh, metrics that I look at in terms of factoring out the game plan in terms of pass efficiency. So I worry about usage for the running backs, but if there's anyone I'm looking towards, it's the pass catcher in Brita. Howard has some goal line opportunity, but we don't usually look for goal line backs on underdogs going into week one. How much of that early down pass play percentage comes to from the fact that they're just very, very frequently playing from behind last year and didn't have any running backs to speak of. It, 
with the sample size, it's hard to really factor that out. But obviously, that's a huge factor for why they're choosing their offensive game plan. Also, they're they're coming into these game plans as underdogs, which might lead to them starting off sure. with a more pass-heavy approach. So all the more reason why it would sort of be a surprise to see either of these running backs really crest the top 12 in PPR most weeks. That said, I mean, touchdowns are touchdowns. Uh, I know Brita had like an 87-yard run. That'll work. But other than that, a home run like that, I just don't see it. Yeah, and I, I guess one argument you can make here is that the Miami Dolphins are going widely on their own. But I do think, look, there's a difference between being contrarian, getting leverage, and just making bad plays. And I, I think to some extent, um, there are there are some spots that you just don't want to go to. And, and the backfield for Miami is one of those. Uh, Mike Gusecki could be interesting at 3.7% ownership right now. Preston Williams getting just below 7% at that price. I actually don't have an issue with it, but th this is not just a, a team that has Stefan Gilmore. Uh, you've got JC Jackson that pro football focus right now has uh, in shadow coverage against Preston Williams. So it could be a tough go for these guys. If I had to go anywhere though, I probably am with you on, on Gusecki largely probably ignoring this Miami team, unless I have some, some Cam Newton game stacks because or Cam Newton stacks, which, when I crunch these lineups, it's it's just going to automatically run back one Miami player with it. So let's talk about Detroit and Chicago. The uh, Lions laying three points here against Mitchell Trubisky's Chicago Bears. A lot of people were disappointed about that, Matt. Uh, but here we are. Nothing has changed. 43 and a half point total. And I, I should point out to you guys, by the way, I think I mentioned it on an earlier show, maybe yesterday. There are not there's not a huge gap in totals, right? Like you have the highest total on this slate at, at 49, then 48 and a half, 48, 47 and a half, 46, 46. Don't get too bogged down by the difference between a 46 and a 49 point total. It, it's not enough to get, it shouldn't be enough to get you off of certain games. Uh, and I, I say that Matt, because with this one, 43 and a half, it's not crazy low. It's not high. It's not that far off from the top, though. And the, the thing here is that Chuck Pagano's defense is, is going to be good. I think they will even be more improved from last year where they took a minor step back. But if the offense continues to, to struggle as much as they have, the defense is just going to be on the field a ton. And on the opposite side, you're looking at someone in Matthew Stafford who was on pace for a pretty, pretty historic season last year. 5,000 yards, almost 40 touchdowns, was limiting interceptions. He's got an elite pass catcher in Kenny Galladay, a solid number two in Marvin Jones, and seemingly a good young tight end in TJ Hawkinson. And then the backfield is consumed by Kurian Johnson and, if he's healthy, DeAndre Swift. This team has some weapons. Can they be together against the Chicago Bears is the big question here. Yeah, I, I am a huge fan of the Detroit Lions offense when healthy. I, as I said in my matchups column, I think Matt Stafford was on his way to an MVP caliber season. If he hadn't gotten hurt, he would have been right there in the running. And before I got over to Osmo, I was working on a fantasy point, an expected fantasy point per touch metric. And I'll tell you what, both Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay ended up as top five wide receivers in the metric when you included Alex Osmo Baker's usage projections to that mix so the upside is just sky high for this offense and I, I'm also incredibly bullish on DeAndre Swift overall I I really don't care that he's hurt right now and I think it's in the Lions best interest 
to spell him with bruiser backs like Carrion Johnson, like Adrian Peterson, keep him fresh for hopefully what is a playoff run. The one thing I will mention about the Lions offense, though, is it's actually very flat. So Kenny Galladay is widely considered the wide receiver one. As you mentioned, Marvin Jones is truly a 1B. Kenny Galladay had 7.9 targets per game with Matthew Stafford. Marvin Jones is only down at 6.7. Another thing we should mention, too, is Danny Amendola had 6.3 targets per game, though his was much more up and down, like an 11-target game or a 13-target game, and then a one-target game and a five-target game. Either way, I think this is the most fun of this game is the Detroit offense versus that Chicago defense, which still should be good, just not at its 2018 level. So do you think in week one, Curry and Johnson won't be the, the, the starting back if DeAndre Swift is healthy? I, I think that Curry on Johnson, if you had to make a pie chart of who gets the most percentage of touches, he probably has the largest piece of the pie. And from there, it's probably an even split between Swift and Peterson in terms of opportunities. But then you got to lean uh, again. This is all assuming Swift plays and he's healthy. You got to lean that he's going to get more work in the past. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Game, which for PPR is what we would prefer. Peterson, I think, has to get a touchdown hit Pater, unless I'm just way off in terms of how they divvy up this backfield. Last season, through the first nine weeks that Matthew Stafford was healthy, Kenny Galladay saw 22 deep targets. That's the most of any receiver, of any player in the league. Uh, That's a pretty huge number. Deep targets by pro football focus are defined by passes of 22-plus yards, or sorry, 20-plus yards. Um, That was across eight games. So he was seeing almost three deep targets per game, which is to me very, very enticing. Only eight of those were caught, but you know, 35.5% deep rate, meaning thir- almost 36% of his targets were downfield 20 plus yards. I absolutely love that. Uh, it's just a matter of, of whether or not it's going to be there against Chicago's defense. Are, are you concerned that, that Chicago's defense, the secondary uh, specifically, knowing that it is specifically designed to slow down the passing game with the league in 2020 evolving more into a pass-heavy league. Uh, are, are you concerned that, that Matthew Stafford is going to struggle to get the ball downfield here? Because if so, it's certainly going to affect Kenny Galladay. That's true. And we've seen Stafford get turnover prone in games where he seems fooled by tough defenses. I just think that the strength of the Bears now is in their front seven and their pass rush more so than in the secondary, as it were, in the last few years. Uh, they've lost their start, their slot corner. 
And while they did allow the six fewest DraftKings points to wide receivers, they still had eight wide receivers who managed to top 20 points. So that means that there's either, like you said, deep targets or end zone targets and touchdowns, of course, uh, which Galladay was also top five in the league in. So in terms of upside, Galladay has some of the best upside of any wide receiver on the slate. But I, I do think that Stafford, while he could be turnover prone, he finally has his way with the, the Bears defense this week. Okay. That's an interesting take. And, and actually, Kyle uh, Kyle Dvorak, I believe, shared a similar sentiment yesterday, Matt Kajewski as well. Uh, I was I, I wanted to pull up red zone stats from last season because if I recall correctly, if I recall correctly, uh, Kenny Galladay, I thought he led the league in red zone targets as well. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought I don't he have did. It in front of me, but I think I did have a, a stat about that in my matchups column. He, the bottom line is he's incredibly heavily used as they get closer to the goal line. He's a part of the goal line plan for the Lions. And in terms of catching touchdowns with your wide receivers, that's a great thing to see. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know why I can't find it. Usually it pops right up, but it is what it is. I'm pretty certain that that was the case. Either way. Uh, if, if I'm playing Matthew Stafford, I'm looking to get Kenny Galladay in a lot of those lineups. There are great. The, the thing I like about the, the the Lions is there are a lot of ways to stack this team. Uh, and I don't have any issues with Marvin Jones. You mentioned basically a 1A type situation, 1 and 1A. Uh, and then Hawkinson, I don't think, is the craziest idea coming into his second year. He's not overly expensive, but there are a couple things that, that will appeal to you. He had... By the way, the last game he played last year, he had 11 targets and six receptions for 18 yards. I mean, wildly inefficient game, but he was targeted 11 times. Stafford wasn't on the field. It was against the same Chicago team, but there, there were games where Hawkinson saw six, seven, six, nine, 11 targets. His first game with Stafford was a nine for uh, six for 131 on nine targets. So I do think there's a little bit of upside here with Hawkinson, especially going into year two. A low, this is a guy I want low exposure to, but if I'm stacking the Lions, I'm going to have some interest in, in getting to him as well as, as Jones and obviously Galladay. Um, on the other side of this one, Mitch Trubisky has been named the starting quarterback. Uh, I, I don't, some, Michael Campbell mentioned in chat that Foles is not good, and you're not going to get any argument from me. I loved him in 2017 when he won my Eagles a, a Super Bowl, but he has not been the same since, and nobody should have expected him to be. But Allen Robinson is, is, the real, is the real stud here. He's, he's a truly, a legitimately elite wide receiver. And he's going to be a target hog all season long, no matter who's at the quarterback position. Does, it, it just seems way too logical and sensible to run these, these stacks back with Allen Robinson and even play him solo, even playing Robinson solo uh, in non-stacks, I don't have an issue with. What about you, Matt? A hundred percent. I really think that Allen Robinson is one of the top 10 receivers in the game stuck in quarterback purgatory between Jacksonville and here. He just has never seen a solid quarterback. And yet, and yet still last year when he faced teams that were just in the top 20 of pass efficiency per sharp football stats, he averaged 19.8 DraftKings points per game, including two 14 plus games against Detroit. So I think the upside is absolutely there. Um, I, I don't 
like Anthony Miller as much as it seems the public did during draft season, but that's mainly because I feel like neither Trubisky or Foles really has the talent to elevate a second receiver beyond Robinson. So that only makes me lean his way a little bit more. My only concern then is ownership. Hey, Garth, appreciate you, man. You have uh, helped support this channel and the site all the time, and we love you for it. $25 Super Chat from Garth says, feels good to have football back. Let's go, Ravens. Keep up the good work, boys. So uh, much appreciated, Garth. We love you, brother. What about the backfield for for the, the Chicago Bears? You've got Tariq Cohen, and then you've got David Montgomery, who I still don't know what's going on with him. I, he's... He's, he's questionable now. He was a limited participant in yesterday's practice. I don't have any word on him from today yet. So let's just run the two scenarios, one that he plays and one that he doesn't. And in the event that he doesn't, we got to talk about Terry Cohen. Yeah, right now I, I have it plugged in that he's not going to play, which gives Tariq Cohen more of a full workload. And I guess that is appealing based on his price. And the fact that he does catch passes, he caught, he had eight plus targets in five games in the last, uh, over five games of the, since 2018, excuse me. And he's never really received a full workload. I think the top carry number he's had is nine. So we've never really seen him in this position before. That said, I don't know if he's in a great place to succeed. I think he's also going to seed some rushes to Trubisky as well, who averaged nearly four a game. So I, I'll tell you this. I want no part of an unhealthy David Montgomery just because of the fact that when you... Look I don't at want the, any part of a healthy David Montgomery. <laughs> with you there. But I, at least there's some upside when he's healthy. I just think with half or a little bit more than half of a normal workload, plus him still uh, dealing with the groin injury, it, there's just, he basically has to have two touchdowns in order to feel like he has a good day because he doesn't have the pass-catching upside with Cohen and he doesn't have his explosiveness. All right, so if he's out, do you have interest in, in Terry Cohen right now at $4,900 and on draft? Or, uh, let me pull up FanDuel. I had the showdown pulled up. But uh, just final thoughts on Cohen and this Chicago offense. If you want to hit on Anthony Miller, we can do that too. Yeah, I guess Cohen priced in that in that range where a lot of people are going to be trying to have a cheap running back alongside a stud running back like Christian McCaffrey. Um, how is he priced next to Antonio Gibson or something like that? Maybe you pivot away from that. But other than that, I just, I really just see it as a, a he's going to get eight targets and maybe catch all eight kind of upside. Okay. Yeah. And he's $4,500 is minimum salary on FanDuel. Cohen's 52 uh, on FanDuel. That is pretty cheap. So, James White's 5,300. Man, some of these guys are, are really inexpensive over here. So that's going to open things up a little bit for sure. But just because someone like Cohen might be cheap, if the, if, if the rest of the players in his position are also cheap, it kind of waters down his value. So just exactly. keep that in mind. I'd say, though, that if in the event that Montgomery's out, I probably do have a, a good amount of interest in Cohen. And I use the term extension of the run a lot, but only because a lot of teams use that. A lot of teams really do that often, especially if they can't get anything going on the ground. And you have somebody like Mitchell Trubisky who has struggled so badly to get through his reads and make the right decision. So uh, it, it doesn't seem peculiar to me to think if Montgomery sits, 
you're not going to see as much Ryan Nall and you know whoever else they decide to run out there. What is it, Artavis Pierce? I think. Yes, uh, uh, rookie. He's on the practice squad now, though, right? Yeah. So he, I think, oh. I just, yeah, I just looked it up. I, I didn't even know, honestly. Uh, he just, he's on the practice squad, which suggests that maybe Montgomery will be active. But if he's not, uh, I do like Terry Cohen. And I don't mind running stacks back with Anthony Miller either. Anthony Miller is a, a pretty extraordinary talent. But again, and you mentioned Anthony, or you mentioned Allen Robinson hasn't really had good quarterbacks ever. Anthony Miller hasn't played with the greatest quarterback either uh, at all. So is it is it a is it a spot where I'd be willing to look towards him? Yes, but at the same time, if Deshaun Jackson's the same price, which he is on DraftKings, it's a no-brainer to me. It's Deshaun Jackson here 100 times out of 100. Right. He did, Miller did have a great stretch. Uh, he really did, and I kind of forgot about that until I started researching a few weeks ago on this team. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, a 26-point outing versus Detroit in that in that big stretch in the middle of the season before getting hurt. He averaged 10.4 targets, 6.6 receptions. 86 yards. So, I mean, those are quality numbers. It's, it's just something when you're comparing it to Deshaun Jackson's slate breaking upside, it's really hard to pivot there. Yeah. And it's also a little bit disconcerting that none of those big games came with Matthew Stafford. So who knows, maybe that means nothing, right? Again, these guys take time to evolve and to mature. So I don't look too much into that. Uh, He's going into his third year, right? Anthony Miller's going into his third. Yeah. That's correct. And that and that's actually a great point. Uh, I think one of the things, and I mentioned it in my solo podcast, which is going to come out tomorrow, is that, uh, and it goes along the lines with you just comparing the totals for this week. We, we really need to get imaginative about these slates in a way that we haven't in recent time, because we know way less than we think we do. We're comparing so many of these teams to their 2019 versions. We haven't seen any preseason at all. So these teams know way more than the public right now. And uh, yeah, that's just a general note as we make our way through the rest of the slate. All right. Answering a question here in chat, Goku had asks, what's the point of stacking? I did throw that in chat. I, I don't want to get into it too much here because we still have a lot of games to get to. But uh, if you're curious to the same question, it's in chat. You can check that out. Uh, in tournaments, it really is important to, to understand the correlation there with stacking and running it back with a player or two. Philadelphia, Washington. Kind of an interesting matchup because on one hand, the, the Washington, I'll just call them Washington. On one hand, Washington, uh, 42 and a half point total. They're, they're, they're getting five and a half points. Their secondary, I expect to really struggle this season. Their front seven and their run defense should be good. Their pass rush should be good, which kind of poses a unique set of problems for the Philadelphia Eagles who are still questionable whether or not Lane, uh, whether or not, uh, oh my God, that's crazy. I just completely forgot his last name. That's insane. I almost called him Lane Peters. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, the, you, you had Brandon Brooks done for the season. You had Lane Johnson questionable. You have Jason Peters moving over and getting a $2 million signing bonus because he wants more money to play left tackle. You had... Um, Andre Dillard also out and it's kind of crazy because if they were solidified and if their offensive line was solidified, Matt, I feel a lot more comfortable about this matchup. And I would think they'd steamroll Washington. I still think they win, 
but it, it does, it's an interesting set of circumstances they run into here, knowing that, you know, Sanders might not be at full health. I've told you guys, I've soured a little bit on him throughout the week with this, this Lane Johnson news and the offensive line. It, it's a strange, strange spot, but I still love Deshaun Jackson. And, and I still think Carson Wentz stacks with, with Wentz or with Ertz and Goddard or, and, and Jackson can, can put up some big numbers, but the run game is a little bit scary to me. Yeah, it looks like we're in lockstep here. The Washington strength on defense is aligned with the one weakness of the Philadelphia offense right now, which is the health of their offensive line. You mentioned all the injuries there, and it's going to be a problem. The other issue is that I can't get the the vividness bias of Philadelphia going into Washington last season and absolutely ripping the Washington defense apart. So there's a little bit of just situational bias that we need to be be careful of paying attention to with regards to the uh, Philadelphia passing game. I think the name that you mentioned there in passing is Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz and Miles Sanders are Sanders are going to be heavily owned, but with the possibility of the front seven really getting pressure on Carson Wentz, who by the way, is not hundred percent himself. He's been dealing with, you know, his typical soft tissue injuries as well. I think you could see dump offs both to Ertz, to Sanders and Boston Scott in the backfield. But I think Dallas Goddard is going to get just as much or or maybe a little less, but a lot of run uh, as a second tight end uh, compared to the uh, secondary wide receivers behind Deshaun Jackson. I do too. I actually like the passing up. If they, if Wentz can stay upright, if they could keep him on his feet, which I think they can, first of all, one thing that we we don't talk about enough with Carson Wentz, even against a good pass rush, even if the offensive line is banged up, this dude is one of the best scramblers in the league. Like, have you ever seen anybody get a, escape pressure? Well, I shouldn't say anybody, but because we've seen plenty. But as far as Carson Wentz goes, he escapes pressure as one. He's one of the best in the league at escaping pressure. Matter of fact, there was a game against the Washington Redskins. You probably remember this, where they swarmed him and his entire body disappeared. And then he popped out of the, the popped out of the pile and ran for 25 yards. Like this guy's good, but not only can he escape pressure, Matt, he's out. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Standing at throwing on the run outside of the pocket, rolling left, rolling right. So I think uh, I think that really benefits guys like Jackson and it'll benefit more so guys in the middle of the field where he can roll out and make some big plays. I, I'm a lot more worried about the run game than I am about the pass, but I want to ask you this before we talk about the skins <laughs> about, about Washington. You guys are going to have to deal with that. <laughs> That's creature of habit. Uh, do 
do the um does Carson Wentz stack? Did we lose him? Ah, we lost you. All right. I thought he was just really mad that I said skins. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll get him back. So the the thing about Carson Wentz, and, and I'll answer the question because I had an answer to it anyway. Uh, as far as Miles Sanders goes, is when I'm set when I'm crunching and and I'm setting rules for quarterbacks and running backs, one of the biggest things I want to do is make sure that I'm not allowing certain running backs into the stack with my quarterback. I've seen times where it happens. Like there was a there was a, a an Atlanta New Orleans game where Devontae Freeman was in the winning stack with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, even though Matt, even though Freeman had like one catch and no touchdowns on the day, right? But that's few and far between. If I'm going to allow a, a running back in the lineup with my quarterback, I need to see something like. Uh, like McCaffrey and Bridgewater is fine. Uh, Miles Sanders is an interesting one. I've mentioned this a lot to you guys, but he had eight receptions of 20 plus yards last year on par with Eckler and James White. He is a very talented pass catcher. And you might see Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson scheme ways to get him the ball out of the backfield if the run game's not working. So I'm actually not that opposed to getting to having Miles Sanders in stacks with Carson Wentz because he will line up as a receiver. They are without Jalen Rager. They are without Alshon Jeffrey. Matt, good to have you back. <laughs> yeah, hey, picking right up. And just to add on to that, looking at the Osimo projections for this week and the stack projections for this week, the Ertz Sanders Wentz stack projects to be one of the best value stacks of the entire slate. So, yeah. Great to be back, and it's uh, exactly how I'm feeling about things. If you want to pivot away, I still think Boston Scott is going to get a lot of run. Uh, over the last four weeks of the regular season, he had 87-plus yards. That's total yards. So he was obviously a very banged-up Philadelphia team at that time, but he was very well used. And also worth mentioning is slot receiver Greg Ward. I don't know if you mentioned him in those two minutes I was gone there, but he quietly saw seven... Uh, he saw seven targets in three games in the last part of last season. Uh, he was a min price option in DFS a couple times, and he hit Pater with a touchdown. And I still think he could get usage, and he may even play ahead of J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. I did a post-game interview with Greg Ward last year. After that big game, I think it was against the Giants or the Redskins. Oh, my God. Well, actually, they were the Redskins then, right? So yeah. it is what it is <laughs> against the against Washington. And I told you, I still call the Chargers San Diego. So, you know, it is what it is. And oh, I remember asking Las him. Vegas. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be tough. I remember asking him how much of an impact did it have that he was a quarterback throughout most of his football career, uh, building a rapport with Carson Wentz. And he said it was huge. So, like, he, he, he has a pretty good understanding of the game on, on a bunch of different levels. So, I think Greg Ward could be impactful here. It, it depends. Like I've heard JJ Ortega Whiteside has been very uh, active and he's finally bringing down catches in the red zone. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing to see, but there's a lot of uncertainty too. John Hightower, who knows which one of these guys is going to be involved, but I think we can, we can agree that you, if you want to work in some of those auxiliary guys into these stacks, that's fine. And then Jackson and Goddard and Ertz are really your key guys. But I don't mind throwing Miles Sanders in there either. 
Matt, go ahead and uh, take the mic on this one. What are we doing with Washington on the other side of this game? A lot of it's going to come down to Gibson and Terry McLaurin. Yeah, I I loved Antonio Gibson coming out of school, and I was actually doing some research on him last night in preparation for this, and I was looking at a metric called true scrimmage TD rate, which basically took the player's total touches in college versus the amount of times they scored a touchdown and then regressed it back so that players with a, a lower sample size, because if you just score five touchdowns in, in 10 tries, you're going to look really good in a, a normal TD rate metric. And Gibson scored 15 touchdowns on 101 total touches at Memphis. So there is an insane amount of touchdown upside with him. In terms of the running backs drafted in the first three rounds over the last 20 years, he placed fourth in that metric. So I guess there is some validity to the hype there. He had physical measurables on par with somebody like Jonathan Taylor. All of that said, we're way out ahead of our skis in terms of projecting usage for this first year, third round pick. JD McKissick was listed on the, uh, the social media depth chart, which is not something I usually listen to. And Peyton Barber and Bryce Love are going to get usage as long as they're healthy. Um, so the real person I'm leaning towards here is McLaurin, who, while he struggled with Dwayne Haskins, he did seem to pick it up down the stretch. Um, I think over the last four games, he had a much, much better target rate and on target rate compared to when Haskins took over in week nine. So McLaurin is really the first person I want to use. The only other person I'm really looking at, maybe Steven Sims had a few high target games at the end of the season. Uh, it's just hard to pivot to anybody on the Washington side unless you unless you feel like you know something that the public doesn't. No, I don't. And and I don't really think any of us do at this point. I actually, throughout the, the offseason, talked to a lot of Washington beat writers and 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 um and analysts for the for Washington that many of all of them had different opinions because there just wasn't a lot to decipher. And then you had Darius Geis cut, and then you had Adrian Peterson cut, and everything goes to shit, right? Because you had this idea, this, this perception of a team that is no longer uh, and, and everything got blown up. So uh, it, it's Gibson for me. I still think that we're going to see increased ownership for Gibson throughout this, throughout the day or throughout the week. Uh, I'm not buying into the fact that he's only going to be 10%. I do think it'd be more. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But if McCaffrey's up, up above 20, I, I think you're going to get a little bit more Gibson and, McLaurin right now is is pulling a decent amount of ownership. Last I looked, he's at 12%, which is one of the, excuse me, higher players at his position. Very interesting game stack, though, uh, on both sides of this one. I don't see any, I don't see any instances really, though, Matt, where I have Dwayne Haskins stacks running it back with the Eagles. But if I was going to do it, I, I really think there's only one option for that, and it's McLaurin Gibson. I don't see the need to get cute on a team that already has a very inferior passing attack. To me, it just doesn't make that much sense. Agreed. Uh, one thing we will likely see is them passing more than bringing over Scott Turner from the Carolina offense last year. They saw an early down pass rate, which is up there at the tops of the league. Now, part of that, again, is, is what we were talking about earlier, where they were playing from behind and also underdogs in some of these games. But I think you're going to see a less conservative approach from Washington, which may lead to more volume for everyone as we get down the road. All right, let's keep it moving here.
by the way, some of these games we won't be spending as much time on, but uh, we want to make sure we cover everything. It is the matchup show, and on the matchup show, we want to do our best to give you guys everything from every single game. We're going to have a show tomorrow. We're going to have a show Saturday. We're going to have on the contrary. We're going to have the deeper dive. We're going to have everything. But, you know, this is kind of that part of the week, that pivotal part of the week where we all really start buckling down, building lineups, uh, and, and putting all of our thoughts and, and lineups and crunches together and coming up with something that hopefully wins us a lot of money. Green Bay, Minnesota. And by the way, Jordan Klein producing did a nice job of putting all the spreads up on the left here uh, and helping us follow along with some good text at the bottom, keeping things rolling here. Minnesota, two and a half point favorites uh, against Green Bay. So one thing I want to mention, we can actually start with the, with the Packers here, is the Vikings defense has been a formidable unit. Um, front seven, pass rush, secondary for a while. I'm a little bit worried. I shouldn't say worried, but I, I am a little bit suspect this season. And not only that, but they just placed Daniel Hunter on the injured reserve who led the team with, I think it was like 15 and a half sacks last year. So that takes pressure off the quarterback that takes away from their pass rush. I feel like they're going to be relatively weak in the secondary this year. If they don't have the pass rush to mitigate that lack of depth in the secondary, that could really kill them. And think about it. Like, like I'm an Eagles fan, Matt, the Eagles secondary has generally speaking been bad for quite a while. Their pass rush usually generates enough pressure, um, enough sacks, enough hands in face, right? Enough, enough hurries to where quarterbacks have to get the ball out of their hands early, and it masks the inadequacies with these DBs and the safeties. I'm worried the Vikings without Hunter are going to lack a crucial element to make this defense look better. Yeah, exactly. So uh, in terms of where... NFL analytics in general has gone. Obviously, the goal to win a game is to stop the, the opposing team's pass, and there's two ways to do that. Cover them perfectly or rush the passer to affect that the passer uh, getting the ball out accurate, accurately. And as you mentioned, Minnesota was always favoring doing it that way. And Daniel Hunter being out, yeah, I think that was the big mask for this secondary, which honestly was exploitable last year with Xavier Rhodes, who had the Pro Bowl name but didn't have the Pro Bowl stats to back it up last year. He was bottom 10 in terms of passer rating allowed last year. And now the 2020 Minnesota secondary only has one cornerback in Mike Hughes who even met PFF's snap qualifying parameters. So this is an incredibly young secondary. And unless Mike Zimmer and company know something we don't, this looks incredibly exploitable, even if the only person that the Packers have on the passing side to really worry about is Devontae Adams. That's it. That's a good point. But at the same time, Aaron Rodgers' only option is Devontae Adams. So, so what wins here, right? What 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 wins here in in a battle of in a battle of one team only has to worry about one guy. And one quarterback, one of the best to ever play the game, only has one guy to focus on. Uh, does just the immense amount of opportunity and, and, and wildly high target share for Devontae Adams win out against Minnesota's ability to sell out to stop him? So I'm going to say yes to both things, annoyingly. I think Aaron, I was looking into some research about this, and 
it looks like Aaron Rodgers against Mike Zimmer's defense has only hit 16 fantasy points once since 2016. So I don't think there's very much upside for Rodgers in this offense. That said, wide receiver ones have worked for Rodgers in these games. They average 10.3 targets, 6.7 receptions, and over 90 yards and nearly a touchdown a game. That's 22 fantasy points. So Adams is going to get his looks. I'm concerned about Rodgers' overall game, though, if you're trying to stack him. Yeah, I tell you, I'm actually not too interested in stacking this game. I mentioned to Kyle and Matt yesterday that one of the approaches I actually don't mind at all is just getting a lot of single exposure to Adam Thielen and Devontae Adams. That's something that I'm not shying away from whatsoever. Uh, I'm not very interested in Aaron Jones, and I'll let you... I'll let you cover this game in, in, in its in its entirety because I'm, ju I'm just going to go all over the place in this one. I don't think there's a ton to talk about. Uh, I don't mind at all getting to both of these guys individually. They don't both have to be in the same lineup, but if they were, I honestly wouldn't be complaining about it. Like you could easily do that in a, say, cult stack where you're not paying a premium for anyone or a couple of other teams where quarterback plus their pass catchers, hell, even the Browns with Baker Mayfield and his pass catchers, tough matchup, but they're all underpriced. There's ways to do it to get Thielen and to get Adams in there. Both of these guys are the only, the only op, the only true options as it stands heading into week one, at least before anybody maybe rises out of nowhere to make a big impact. These are the only guys right now with Stefan Diggs gone uh, and with Devontae Adams getting no help from his front office in the draft. I, I do, I don't love this game in terms of stacking Matt, but I really do like both Thielen and Adams. And the reason is opportunity is everything in, in fantasy sports, whether it's basketball usage and minutes, uh, baseball's a little bit different, obviously. So we'll, we'll throw that out, but football opportunities as a pass catcher, opportunity as a rusher, even if you're not the most talented, if you're getting the shots on the field, if you're getting the targets, you're getting the carries, you're going to be someone that we need to talk about. In Adams and Thielen's case, they're both supremely talented and they're getting all the opportunities. Yeah, I, and one thing I was looking into, Gary Kubiak's wide receiver ones, their 16-game pace over the last 12 Gary Kubiak offenses, the wide receiver one averages 157 target pace. So we're looking just at massive, massive volume for Thielen uh, with Diggs gone, as you said. And in terms of the Green Bay defense, uh, they they have strength in the secondary, but their, their mediocre rush efficiency defense could still be good for Dalvin Cook as well. They were 31st in early down rush success via sharp football stats. So... We could be looking at a situation where Cousins is able to do exactly what he wants in this traditional Kubiak offense, where he can run Cook effectively and then use it to set up play action passing, which Cousins was top 10 in the league last year. Any thoughts on Dalvin Cook? I think he's a great pivot in terms of not CMC. Um, right. I think he's get, he gets the usage to be the running back one overall every week, and that's certainly not going to change this year. Um, the only thing that really stopped him in a lot of games is the fact that in games where he ran wild, he was out late in games, leaving it for Alexander Madison to finish things up. He would have had an even bigger season if not for that. So in terms of week one, with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, it's not perfect. But especially if you're trying to get away from Christian McCaffrey, I think Dalvin's a great choice. Okay. Only played one game against this Green Bay team last year. I believe the one game he missed was against the Packers. Maybe that was week 17. It was meaningless. I don't know. I don't remember. But uh, he had a lot of success in that game. Yeah, week 16 and 17 he didn't play. But. Yeah, in week two, he had 20 for 154 and a touchdown. Uh, Previous season, definitely a little bit uglier totals. But the one thing that stands out, you mentioned him as a potential pivot to Christian McCaffrey. Here's the one thing I like. I don't see this game getting away from either side. And if that's the case, you're probably going to see Dalvin Cook haul in 20 carries in this game. Uh, and while he isn't exactly the most prolific pass catcher or more so isn't used as a pass catcher that often, I think we overlook how much he can be involved. He was targeted 76 times last year in 16 games. That's still almost five targets per game. It's It's not unlikely that Dalvin Cook comes into this spot and has 21 carries and six targets, Matt, and now we're looking at someone that's racked up 30-plus fantasy points in a game that's decided by one possession. Yeah, in terms of odds to be the running back one overall, you put Christian McCaffrey first, but sure. I think Dalvin is second. It's it's much lower, but it's still right there. And like you said, the usage, including receiving, is high. And I'm going to say on the other side, too, Aaron Jones is not the same. Uh, not that we don't already know he's not at the same level of Dalvin Cook, but Jamal Williams is going to play more than people expect. You don't draft a second round running back that looks like AJ Dillon without eventually using him. So while he had a huge amount of touchdowns, I believe 19 a year ago that really buoyed his fantasy performances. It's not the same level of Dalvin cook usage that we're seeing on that side. So yeah, Jamal Williams really capping Aaron Jones's ceiling in my opinion. I remember in week one last year against the Chicago Bears, Aaron Jones got off to a slow start. Jamal Williams came in and everyone was very concerned. Aaron Jones did certainly turn it around. Uh, but yeah, I, I, my, my assumption, and I could be wrong, and it, it doesn't matter. I don't want to dive. I don't want to get too much in the weeds here because it's not really applicable. Well, maybe it is. My assumption, and again, this is just my guess, is that because Aaron Jones is on the last year of his rookie contract, they might end up letting this guy walk, but they might run him till the wheels fall off this season. I might be wrong. Could be wrong. You might be 100% right on this because we don't know. Uh, and, and Matt LaFleur clearly wants to he change things up from when he, when he supplanted Mike's, Mike McCarthy at, at the head coaching position. He wanted to go run heavy. And it, it worked. They, they won a lot of games. But I do think Aaron Jones has one year left where he is heavily involved. I agree with you, however, that 
I'm not putting him nearly on the same page as Dalvin Cook, especially in week one. You want to move on to Indy and Jacksonville? Let's do it. All right. Uh, let me make sure, Jordan, let's see. Do we have the same list? Yeah, here we go. By the way, hit that thumbs up, guys. 400 watching, only 59 thumbs up. Do us that solid. It is the easiest way to support us. And uh, what I've heard is you win more money when you like these videos. It's just, just a rumor. All right, Indy, Jacksonville. Uh, let's talk about Phillip Rivers first. This is a spot where I don't know seven. So they're getting, they're laying seven and a half points, 45 point total. The, the Colts right now have a 46 and and 0.3 implied total on this slate, right? Let's say on the week overall, the higher totals are Kansas city, Baltimore, San Francisco, Dallas, uh, and, and yeah, that's it. That's it. Kansas City isn't on this slate. Neither is Dallas. So there are only two teams on this specific slate that have higher implied totals than the Colts coming in at 26.3. Uh, I think there are going to be some ownership there because they're cheap. But I do believe that Phillip Rivers is going to have a slight resurgence playing under Frank Wright and not having to worry about passing the ball as much as he did last season. We ignore that Phillip Rivers was placed in, in a pretty un, in an unenviable situation because while Austin Eckler was very good, they made a lot of mistakes. Rivers did throw a lot of picks, so a lot of it was self-induced harm, right? No doubt about that. But the run game was not that solid. Melvin Gordon came back and really did not look particularly good. Rivers had to throw 591 times. I think it's going to be a more balanced offense, and I think it's going to open things up and allow him to do a lot more uh, in the middle of the field and even downfield where he's not pressuring everything. Where are you at on Rivers? Yeah, I'm in a similar position. I am concerned less about the pass attempt numbers changes because I think that varies uh, a lot about game script. But I think the average depth of target will definitely go down. And that was part of the reason he was struggling so much. And his deep targets were not were not what they used to be. And a lot of his danger plays were through deep targets and it ended up in a lot of interceptions last year. Uh, I think we might see a similar plan from the Colts offense that they did when Andrew Luck was coming back from shoulder surgery two years ago with a lot of short passes to playmakers in space like Hilton, like young, uh, younger players, Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman, as well as these three running backs who uh, ETR established the runs. Brandon Thorne ranked as one of the top running back offensive lines in the whole NFL. They're going to find ways to use them, not just in the backfield, but through the passing game. I think he has a ton more weapons to work with and a better line that usually spells good things for a quarterback. Yeah. And to be fair to, to this Chargers team last season, they, they had Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. They did have a lot of bodies, but the run game wasn't as, as competent. And there was just something about that team that they always got themselves into trouble. Uh, they're, they're seven and a half point favorites. Do you like the idea of stacking Rivers with Hilton and, and Doyle, or do you want to run some Paris Campbell out there? Uh, where where are you going overall with the with the Colts this week? It's hard for the Colts. I think because they do have a higher total, people are going to flock to the passing game. But I still think the running backs have a lot of value. Marlon Mack, especially early in the season, should be fine. He had a 19.9 fantasy point game, including a 100-yard rushing game against Jacksonville a season ago. Uh, 
I know that they've said that they're going to take the hot hand approach. I saw this thing on Roto World that they they drafted Jonathan Taylor to spell Marlon Mack so he could be ready for the fourth quarter. If you believe something like that, uh, which I'm not sure I do, uh, you, he's certainly a great play because I think he's going to come in under-owned. Um, but for Rivers' options, I still think the only thing you can touch in week one is T.Y. Hilton. Uh, pre-injury, he was still on a tear last year. Five, uh, five and a half receptions for 60 yards and nearly a TD per game. That's highly effective production. That went down to nearly three receptions and only 35 yards uh, for the rest of those four games before he called it quits on 2019. So for me, it's Rivers Hilton or Mac in the running game. If you want to get really crazy, say that Jonathan Taylor just takes this week one. I'm, sh- I'm sure he'll be very underowned. Um, and there are crazier things that could happen in the slate, but that's where I'm leaning in this game. I, I, I'm glad you brought this up. Number one, I'm not opposed to getting some pass passing stacks with Rivers and, and Hilton. And, and I think Doyle is very interesting without Eric Ebron. I do think that this is going to be someone who is talented enough uh, in a Frank Reich offense that has very, very heavily used tight ends. Now, to be fair, he's had the luxury and the privilege privilege of working with Antonio Gates and with, with, with Zach Ertz and a lot of really good tight ends. But uh, at the same time, I think he can take Jack Doyle as the starting number one, bona fide number one tight end and turn him into a pretty solid option. I have him everywhere in season-long leagues this year because it was ADP was like 150. But your point about the running backs should not be – you can't overstate this. A team that has this high of a total oftentimes will be able to just run you down, and then in the second half, let's say they are up by two and a half – or by three scores. If they are up by 17, 20 points, they're going to lean on a run game. And they've got two guys that can get the job done, an 1,100-yard rusher in only 14 games last season in Marlon Mack and a, and a young, very talented rusher in, in Jonathan Taylor. The difficulty here is picking which one to roster. Definitely don't want them both in the same lineups. Don't make that mistake. But I will say, Matt, you, I wouldn't be surprised to see a tournament-winning lineup that had one of these guys in there. Uh, this, this could be a spot where, where the Colts really lean heavily on the run, and if someone gets hot, they go off for 150 yards and two touchdowns. You just got to make the right guess. And I think right now it's probably Marlon Mack based on what we know. Yep. In terms of, in terms of our knowledge right now, Marlon Mack is the safer bet. We, we just have to say that in a different time of the NFL – Jonathan Taylor is a top five pick and, you know, after nearly 2000 rushing yards in all three of his NCAA seasons, this is just one of the most productive young backs we've seen in a while. You know, we've seen him all summer with this third round ADP. Okay. We just assume he's going to get usage. Eventually this is a person, this is a player who uh, in terms of physical abilities and production over three years of Wisconsin, it's just, you know, it's off the charts. And so I, I'm I for one in season long and predicting it to happen eventually this season week one. That's a, that's a tougher bet. Do you have any interest in Jacksonville? Gardner Minshew. Yeah. Gardner Minshew is an above average uh, scrambler and play extender. And I, I was looking into some of his stats and he really actually graded out in terms of his ability to score on drives on par with other solid rookie years such as number one overall pick Kyler Murray their true score rate 
again, that regresses them towards their towards uh, their smaller sample size so that they can be compared to other uh, quarterbacks such as Breeze and Brady who have had many, many more drives. They're right on par with each other. So I think Gardner Minshew has established himself as a quality starting quarterback. And uh, I hate to bring up narrative street, but in several of the games that I watched where he replaced Foles, there's just a shift in the way that players play with Minshew. You know, I don't want to get too far into the weeds with this because this is so not numbers based, but he just seems like one of the leaders of the team that affects the gameplay of everyone else. So I, I would play him and maybe he's got some touchdown rushing upside as well. Okay. Let's keep it moving here. Uh, Jordan, I think you forgot to add Seattle and Atlanta. That's okay. We're going to talk Seattle and Atlanta here. Uh, This is going to be one of the more popular games and it's going to be for pretty good reason. 49 point total. I mentioned right now, this is the highest total on this slate, not on the week, but on the slate. And that's really all that matters, right? Uh, Seattle is uh, laying two points again, 49 point over under on this one. They have a 25 and a half implied total 23 and a half for the, uh, the, sorry, 25 and a half and then 23 and a half. Yeah. For Atlanta, I guess we can start with Seattle here. People are liking this for a couple of reasons. If, if you look at ownership and by the way, you know, you guys know where to find it. Uh, ownership projections by Alex Baker, awesome himself, number one ranked DFS player out there. You can check those projections out uh, on at awesome.com player projections, the top stacks tool, which is of supreme importance for the NFL as well. Uh, all of that there. We've got packages for everything you need. Awesome.com slash join. Well, if you click begin membership, we'll ask you a question. Uh, what type of player are you? A hobbyist, the professional you know, just looking to get better and we'll cater that to your answer. So you're not getting too much. You're not getting too little. You're not paying too much and you're not paying too little. You're getting exactly what you need. You just want to do NFL. You want to do all sports. You want to make this more than just a hobby. We've got you covered because we got everything, all the tools from the number one ranked player in the world. And he's giving them, providing them to you. If you just check out the testimonials, you'll see uh, it's the real deal. And people have had a lot of success using Awesome's tools, using all of our tools and our information and our articles and the lineup builder and the fantasy cruncher add-on, you name it. We've got it all for all sports. If they have contests for it, we've got content across the board, you name it. From League of Legends, we were doing Bundesliga to KBO. Man, we're always keeping up with the times. But actually, I should say that. I should say the times are keeping up, trying to keep up with us because we're always innovating great tools and great stuff at Awesome. Go to awesomeo.com slash join. Check it out. And there may be a flash sale today. Keep your eyes open. There might be a flash sale. The other day we did $2 NFL weekly Awesomeo Plus passes. So everything for their NFL content for $2 for the week. So you can check all of that out. We had a ton of people sign up. Keep your eyes peeled at awesomeo underscore com or check out these shows because we'll be sure to let you know when that's going on. Go to awesomeo.com slash join. Check it out. Season is coming up starting tonight. All right, Matt, back to this game. Seattle, uh, Lockett and Metcalf are both getting double-digit ownership. Russell Wilson, however, not very popular at all. Chris Carson getting around 9.5% ownership. That That's kind of interesting that these these wide receivers are getting more individual ownership and, and Russell Wilson not all that popular. I wonder if that's about people planning to stack 
Falcons and then run it back with Metcalf or Lockett. I definitely think it is because you can stack Julio and Ridley and Hayden Hurst and it just, it's going to make people feel a lot better, even though it might not be the right move. I, I agree with you entirely on that. Yeah. And like you said before, volume is king and Matt Ryan had the most pass attempts per game, you know, for the non rushing quarterbacks of the NFL, I think Matt Ryan is your best bet at 300 yards and three touchdowns every single week in terms of volume, volume to major receivers in terms of 1A, 1B, and running backs. And, and so he has a predictable outcome, which people really like. I think, I don't know, I think Russell Wilson probably has the exact same amount of upside in this game, especially if it shoots out like Vegas thinks. Yeah, and if, if you're just talking about opportunities last year and where these quarterbacks landed a lot of it's first of all a lot of it comes down to price and ownership but we're just you and I are kind of walking our way through this right now I hadn't seen Russell Wilson's ownership until we until looking at it right now if that is the case and you want a piece of this game and you think it's going to shoot out and Russell Wilson's going to be getting less ownership than we originally anticipated Maybe that is one way to get a little bit different than everybody else. Matt Ryan, only like 7% ownership too, though. So it, it appears right now as if the, the, the receivers and the pass catchers and the running backs are getting all of the love. The quarterbacks aren't getting that much either. So I don't know. That's It's kind of interesting. You're going to see, I guess, a lot of these guys individually rostered. Ridley at 15%, Gurley at 15%, Julio at 14%, even Hayden Hurst at 9%. Uh, you know, as far as individual teams go or individuals on teams, I I think Atlanta's got to be up there as one of the highest owned overall teams. I venture to say collectively they are. Yeah, look at that. In the top 15, there's four Atlanta Falcons. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, there's, there's two Saints players, Kamara and Thomas, but that's to be expected. But that's it. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's not surprising. Atlanta is so top-heavy in terms of talent. Uh, even if you get past the second wide receiver, are, are we talking about uh, Alamadi Zacchaeus as a, as a fantasy contributor? Right. And, you know, the tight ends behind new tight end Hayden Hurst, they're, they're really not anything that we're going to worry about for fantasy. So it's really the running backs, which should be mostly girly, Hurst, Ridley, and Julio, which makes a really perfect bet for fantasy, which is probably why we're seeing that slightly inflated ownership. I like this game. I know they're going to be popular. There's probably ways to differentiate. Uh, and you know what? You can do that by stacking this game and getting different elsewhere in other spots on this site. So I'm not terribly worried about it. I, I, I agree that the upside is definitely the same on both, but it is hard to get away from, from, from Julio when you or sorry, from Ryan stacking with Julio and Ridley when you know that pretty much anytime he throws the ball, it's going to one of those two. And if it's not them, it's Hayden Hurst. Right. The one thing I will say that uh, is a little bit of a wrench in that plan for most people is the addition of Jamal Adams is not only going to affect the passing game, but Seattle, even with Jadeveon Clowney last year, they were last in football outsiders pressure rate. There's nowhere to go, but up there. And uh, Jamal Adams blitz, ability is highly highly underrated so he, he's going to be felt all over the field not that anyone needs to tell you that Jamal Adams is going to be felt all over the field but it's going to be a very different defense for Seattle with him on it 
Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, do you think there's a possibility here that Atlanta's offense comes out sluggish and actually struggles to produce through the air? When I first saw the total here, I thought it's a trap. It's a trap because there's so much more talent on the Seattle side than the public thinks, a Seattle defensive side than the public thinks. The Atlanta offense, it, again, is top heavy, but if those top options are shut down, they don't really have anywhere else to go. And Matt Ryan doesn't have mobility in a way that I would like to see if those top receiving options are stymied by the defense. Seattle finished 23rd in run defense DVOA last season. Could it be that Todd Gurley ends up being a stronger option in this one than the passing weapons? Well, he certainly could see more usage in the passing game as well. So I think the usage will be there. And if the rushing efficiency carries over from year to year, Gurley's going to be fine. I, I think his it's very easy to create a projection for Todd Gurley where he ends up as a top 12, top 15 running back on the slate. The thing is, we all know that we've seen two different Todd Gurley's over the last two, two-plus years. It just takes your eyes to see that he just doesn't have the same explosiveness. That said, Devontae Freeman had many more receptions. In fact, he had more 20-point games than Todd Gurley, who was really buoyed by touchdowns last season. In, in fact, the target totals, Freeman had 71 last year. Gurley had 49. So an additional 20-odd targets is going to boost his his numbers for sure starting this week that's right game theory uh in our chat says just like the point lobby made about aaron jones you can apply to Gurley. he's only got a one-year deal and the falcons should just run him as much as they can it's not a crazy thought matt it's just a matter of whether or not the guy's knees and whether or not he's healthy enough i think if he is healthy enough the falcons are going to run him a lot it's just a matter of we don't actually have the answers to that we won't know until week one. You can hear about training camp and all that good stuff, but we're not really going to know until we see him in true form in game one. Would you agree? I'd agree with that. And and now that we kind of break it down like this, I think early in the season is the time you want to take a bet on Todd Gurley. Absolutely. When everyone's it, spooked. It's much easier to make a per-game projection about him and then do our best to project it over 16 uh, when we know that's not necessarily the case, especially for someone like Gurley. Yeah, especially when everyone has the same question of whether or not he is healthy, and they say, well, I'll take the wait-and-see approach. Don't jump on the wave as it's crashing. Jump on that wave as it's building, and then jump off before it crashes. It's the toughest thing to do in DFS. It really is. But when you get it right, it feels great. Top plays from this game, Matt, and then we'll move on. Still Julio Jones, even though Ridley saw more of a target increase once Mohamed Sanu was traded from the Falcons last year. I still think you're looking at an, you know, nine to 11 targets for Julio Jones every single game, regardless of who's, who's defending him. So it, unless the coverage grades for Atlanta's cornerbacks change drastically year to year, he's not, he's not going to be completely shut down. Ridley for me, uh, he's more of a, he, I've just never been in on Ridley. I know he's had a lot of great games. And once Sanu did leave in in uh, four matchups with Matt Ryan, he averaged four for 70. So I think it's, it's possible for him, but I just, I'm off it this week. Okay, interesting. I'm a big Ridley guy coming into 2020. I, I like him. I think this is going to be the year. Well, maybe you can pitch me on it. it so... <laughs> I wrote up a long article about him as a breakout candidate uh, at awesomemode.com. You can check that out, by the way, awesomemode.com. 
the, there's a couple things to consider here. One, he has been used very, very heavily in the red zone. And that's encouraging to me. Touchdowns are, are erratic. They're kind of volatile. There's no doubt about that. But when you've got 17 touchdowns through your first uh, two seasons in only 29 games, missing three games last season, there, there's a lot of opportunity that's going to be there. But also, I think when you take Austin Hooper out of the mix, who was basically a 100-target guy last year, and you supplant him with Hayden Hurts, I think Hayden Hurts is going to have a fine year. I'm not convinced that he is just going to completely fill that void and replace uh, Austin Hooper's production immediately. It took Austin Hooper three years to build a rapport with Matt Ryan. Now, Hayden Hurst is also going into his third season, so there's definite possibility that, that he'll be involved. But they haven't had the same amount of time to work with each other in the offseason due to the pandemic as they normally would. There's, there's already a rapport with Calvin Ridley. I think Calvin Ridley this season – gets well over 120 targets and just puts himself in a favorable situation. Now, one more thing, Matt. Last year, he um, he had 93 targets in 13 games. If you prorate that, that's 114 targets in his second year. It, it's not out of the ordinary, or it's not insane to think that Calvin Ridley goes for 130-plus targets this year and just has a big season. I can understand your skepticism, especially given that the yards haven't been there, but the touchdowns have. Uh, I, I just think going into his third season, what better way to take pressure off Julio Jones than to get Calvin Ridley even more involved on the outside as well? Yeah, I, I hear you there. And I also, at this point in Julio Jones' career, with his lack of touchdown scoring, I think it is reasonable to say that there might be something more than randomness there in terms of Matt Ryan's connection with Julio towards the end zone. And if Ridley is the one picking that up, just by the way of the, the scheme or the way the, the looks go for Matt Ryan or just the fact that he's more open, then, yeah, then the sky really is the limit, especially with more volume with, the, with Hooper leaving. For sure. Last thing I'll say on Gurley, and then we can move on. Last year or two years ago, the Rams uh, run blocking, their, their offensive line run blocking ranked number one. Sorry, their offensive line ranked number one in run blocking. Do a lot of shows, man. I get mixed up, man. Uh, Last year, it dropped to 18th in the league, according to Football Outsiders. That's a big dip. Ty Gurley did benefit from a good offensive line because guess what? Any running back benefits from that. A, a, a mediocre running back can look great with a good offensive line. Look at C.J. Anderson in the remaining weeks of the 2018 season with the Rams. So the, the, the Atlanta Falcons struggled in that respect last year, but they had injuries, they had issues. They're getting back to full strength, an offensive line that was anticipated to be decent last year before they ran into all of those issues. If they are, if, if it is markedly improved, expect Todd Gurley's efficiency to rise pretty dramatically if he's healthy. There's a lot of question marks there, but like Matt said, maybe this is the best time to pounce. All right, Cleveland, Baltimore. Whew, this one's tough for me because I, I, I'm buying into Cleveland this year. And that usually doesn't end well for people who do that. <laughs> They're getting seven and a half points on the road, 48 point total. Let's start with the Cleveland Browns from Baker to Jarvis to Odell to Hunt to, to, to my God, to Chubb. They've got so many weapons to Austin Hooper. It's just, can it materialize? Can they put this all, can they put the pieces of the puzzle together finally? Well, there's really no excuse in terms of skill position talent for Baker Mayfield. He, he really has maybe the best 
running back, tight end, wide receiver tandem in the entire league. Now, Jarvis Landry has been nothing but a wide receiver one his entire time in the NFL. And even when you compare it to an injured Odell Beckham last year, who's apparently full strength now, he still out-targeted Odell nine different times. That said, he never had a target differential with Odell Beckham greater than five, meaning that Beckham never had five, uh, six targets more than Landry, and Landry never had six targets more than Beckham. That means they're both going to be used. We certainly are going to see Austin Hooper's usage come down because of those two target hogs. And then Kareem Hunt versus Nick Chubb. That definitely is going to be one of the more exciting things to see this weekend. For me, I think Nick Chubb, as I said in my matchups article, is arguably the top runner in the entire NFL. He was first in breakaway runs and second in total evaded tackles. But when Kareem Hunt, who has also led the league in rushing, came back, his carry totals shrunk uh, a large percentage. In fact, he only crested 20 carries one time the rest of the year, and he was outscored half the time by Hunt. So not even being the top-scoring running back on your team is something I'm very concerned about when in the same breath I'm saying he's one of the best running backs in football because, as we said earlier, usage is everything. Be sure to check out Matt's matchup article on awesome.com. It's very good. And he's got one specifically for the showdown slate tonight. Uh, very in-depth, comprehensive stuff. Check it out. I believe it's free. So no reason not to get on that. I had to step away to get some water because we're clearly going long today. <laughs> That's fine. Hey, I'm, I'm here for it. All right. If you need to do that, uh, I, I can't give you time for a piss break, but if you need to, okay, you got water. We're good. Let's keep it moving here, man. Uh, solid breakdown. Let's, do you want to talk about Baltimore? Because I've, I've already added everything I can to Cleveland over the past couple of days, weeks, months. People know where I'm at. Uh, I, I will actually add just my quick thoughts on this. I think Nick Chubb could be a fantastic tournament option if his ownership is coming in low. It's it's a game where I wouldn't be surprised to see it actually stay more competitive than others assume. Vegas has it at seven and a half right now. Uh, no surprise. People are going to jump on a Baltimore team. The public's going to jump all over a Baltimore team that was extremely, extremely successful in the regular season last year. And the public's never going to buy in unless you're a Cleveland fan to a Cleveland team that has struggled mightily despite being able to add first pick, first pick, second pick, and what year after year. So, um, I think if this game is competitive, given Baltimore's strong secondary, Nick Chubb could be the one to do a ton of damage here. You're getting him at a very fair price point, mid-6K. He's coming in at 3% ownership right now. And in the event that it stays close, Chubb might see 23, 25 carries. It's not out of the realm of possibility. So with all that in mind, I'm on board. In one matchup against, or in his first matchup against Baltimore last season, Chubb went for 165 yards and three touchdowns on 20 carries. Granted, he had that 88-yard run, but it, it's not the craziest idea. If you, someone asked a question earlier, Matt, what, what's the point of ownership uh, in, in DFS? He's new to DFS. I'm happy to answer questions to any of you guys that are just jumping in. Don't feel dumb. Yes, there's such things as stupid questions, but I'll still answer them. That was not a stupid one. That's just somebody that's new. With Nick Chubb, like it, the ownership here, if he's 3% owned and he's a complete workhorse in a close game, 
those are the type of players that can make a big splash in tournaments, even if he's not going to be used heavily as a pass catcher, which I wish he was, but he could get 20 plus carries easily. Absolutely. And also just to lean somewhere other than these Browns wide receivers, since the Marcus Peters trade for Baltimore, they've only had two uh, opponents have only had two wide receivers clear 20 fantasy points. And that was Muhammad Sanu and, and Jamison Crowder. Uh, so those are more like volume slot type receivers. If anything, that leans a little bit towards Landry. But I like I like the argument for Chubb. And if he does see that 20 plus opportunity usage because the game is close and they're still they're still trying to pound it and win it, then yeah, I think he's going to be a great play this weekend with low ownership. All right. Let's talk about and yes, Landry would be the guy. If Odell Beckham's price stays this low going into some other matchups, or even in that mid 6K range, my assumption is I'm going to have a ton of him, just not in this particular spot. I do worry about it. On the Baltimore side, Lamar Jackson is the most expensive quarterback by a pretty wide margin. It, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. Uh, right now, with your with your ownership projections at awesomeo.com, Lamar is getting about 12%, which is pretty high at the position. You know what? Let me do this. So Marcus Brown and Mark Andrews are both in the double digits. Brown at 13%, Andrews at 10 Ingram at 8%. Let me... Let me filter it by position and see where Lamar is coming in at his own position, at the quarterback position. He is, okay, Matt, not only is he the highest owned quarterback right now, but he is the only one in the double digits, and he is about 4% higher than the next closest player, who is Carson Wentz. So I think people who are playing Jackson in DFS are – isn't he really like a CMC pivot at this point? You're really saying that Lamar Jackson is the second best probability of breaking the slate with a score. And that's why we're going to choose to play him instead of the other high price flex players. You know, that's not usually a, a, a strategy that I tend to use, but that said, Jackson really is a running back and a quarterback in two in one person. And, one thing we know is that the touchdown passing rate is going to drop. He had an over 8% touchdown rate. I think it was nearly nine last year, which was number one in the league while still having that insane rushing stat totals. The average drop-off is 3.15%. So obviously, even with a 5.5% touchdown rate, Lamar Jackson's very effective. He's just passing for less touchdowns than we saw a year ago. In fact, we've seen... Nick Foles' biggest drop in that group was 4.3% over half or nearly half in terms of TD rate. So I, I think it's probably at that ownership, pretty much a, a full fade. I'm probably looking elsewhere. But that said, Cleveland's defense is still a work in progress. This is actually the third defensive coordinator that Lamar Jackson is facing in terms of Cleveland defenses already in his young career. So we still have a lot of questions here in terms of how good and how able they are to stop both the pass and the run. Yeah, that's true. Lamar Jackson last year, think about this, was first in passing touchdowns and sixth in rushing yards. Sixth in rushing yards, not at his position, on the year, right? He was number one at his position in touchdowns and then number six at not his position in rushing yards. 
the guy's upside, his ceiling is 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 extraordinary, but it, it's tough to get there. And then another issue is when I'm ma making stacks, I have to go through this big process of of of, of limiting the uh, artificially changing the cap on Lamar Jackson more because I don't want to stack him with two players at his own position or sorry, two players is at pass catcher. He only threw for 3,100 yards last year. So if I'm running Lamar out there, I, I guess you could run naked Lamar Jackson and, and look, it's doable. It's just frustrating when you're, when you're running crunches, uh, you could go, you could run him out there naked or you could do just Mark Andrews or just Marcus uh, Brown, Marquise Brown, it's a, it's a tough spot to be in, man. And I don't have the biggest issue getting away from it. And I agree with you that there are still a lot of uncertainties with Cleveland until they can prove that they are not bad for the first time in years. I, I will, I will still have some question marks there, but I will say that this defense does at least have some talent. They, they have a decent amount of talent on this defense if they can put it together, Matt, like there are some really talented faces playing for the Cleveland Browns defensive end. Absolutely. Their strength is in the defensive line. And uh, I do like Denzel Ward as a corner, but Greedy Williams is still banged up. They're not sure if he's going to play. Um, that said, they allowed the seventh fewest DraftKings points to wide receiver. Um, and according to Sharp Football, Sharp Football Stats, excuse me, they had the 11th lowest rate of explosive plays allowed to wide receiver. So that's a little bit of a lean towards Andrews, who I already think coming from a part-time role last year to a full-time role with Hayden Hurst gone is going to see a natural target boost anyway. I just, I, I have a little affinity for Marquise Brown, who certainly will play more than 51% of snaps, getting the larger boost from that target vacancy okay um any any thoughts on the run game here before we move on mark ingram jk i'm a huge jk dobbins fan uh i just it's another spot where ingram's in the last year of his contract jk dobbins in my opinion gets worked in slowly might have a big game here or there but i, I don't see a spot where they need to to incorporate him heavily into the offense early on it just doesn't make a ton of sense yep that's the most likely scenario uh, only thing I'll add is if Ingram does get hurt, I think Dobbins is a star. Oh, and yeah. Every week. He's just my favorite running in. back out of this draft, honestly. And he fell in just a perfect spot, a perfect run scheme. And it, I think he'll just dominate once he gets the chance. I'm with you. Maybe we'll be having the same exact conversation later down the road and we'll revisit it. Buffalo, New York Jets. Here's one that probably won't take a ton of time, Matt, unless you've got some secret nuggets for us here uh, that you have to scroll all the way down. If you want to find the total on this one, 39 and a half points. It's the lowest on the week of all 16 games. It's the lowest on the week. The Buffalo bills have a 23 point implied total 16 and a half for the jets. Just brutal stuff. They're getting six and a half points on the road. I'm just really not enamored with anything here. Le'Veon bell. Do I think he shows improvement from last year? Well, you can't be worse, but this is a good Buffalo defense. Their, their, their run defense is going to do enough to slow him down. And the problem is, unless Sam Darnold shows market improvements, they're just going to sell out to stop the run because they're not worried about what Sam Darnold's going to do. Denzel Mims was not what they expected him to be in camp, at least not yet. Uh, Jamison Crowder is a possession guy, as you just noted. They, they don't have a lot. Robbie Anderson, who they couldn't figure out how to utilize anyway, is gone. 
they need, and Chris Herndon might be healthy for another week or so. We'll see. Uh, all in all, Buffalo's core strength is, you know, Tredavious White and that secondary, and they do a very good job of, of keeping you from throwing the football. But they're no slouch in the run game. The total for the Jets is so low, 16 and a half. Like, even if you're trying to get cute, I could think of 100 other ways on this site you could get cute than stacking or loading up on Jets players. What about you, Matt? Yeah, exactly. I mean, not to mention the fact that Sean, McDerm Sean McDermott has completely owned Adam Gase defensively Hasn't in these matchups. Adam Gase? <laughs> uh, it's not the hardest thing in right. the world, they say. I know what uh, you mean, though. But three Especially in a divisional spot. I, yeah, you're right. Right, right. So in these five matchups, they have three and a half over three and a half sacks two two forced turnovers per game and only 17.2 points allowed. Not to mention the fact that Sam, uh, Jamison Crowder is miscast as a wide receiver who should be commanding nine to 10 targets a game. He could be a great volume slot and a fantastic number two option on a functional offense. But if you're telling me that he is supposed to be the number one with Denzel Mims and an injured Brashad Perryman flanking him, I have no faith in the offense whatsoever. Then when you add in the fact that Tredavious White can just focus on Jamison Crowder since Perryman and, and Mims are nothing to write home about, at least yet, I think you have a disaster waiting to happen for the Jets. It, yeah. It, it could be even less than this. And, and I think what's even more fun is the possibility that they get to a point in the game where they start letting Josh Allen try things. This is my true fingers crossed scenario uh, so that he can get in rhythm with his deep ball receivers, Diggs and Brown. Okay. So how are you feeling about Diggs and Brown here? Josh Allen in his rookie year, he was, his deep ball percentage was higher than any other quarterback. Last year, it came down a little bit. Unfortunately, I would have loved to have said, I'd love to tell you right now that his efficiency improved, but it didn't. It actually decreased on deep balls. Uh, the reason deep balls in a spot like this are so important is because Stefan Diggs and John Brown are both deep ball specialists and Josh Allen's not afraid to throw them, Matt. It's just a matter of whether or not they can connect. If they can, if they can make improvements here, we're going to be rostering Buffalo stacks quite a bit this season. But as of now, that's, that's still a, a, a big uncertainty. Can Josh Allen get them the football early on against this Jets team? Right. I have it in my notes. That's the biggest thing for Diggs, too. He's going from Kirk Cousins, who was fifth in completion completion percentage over expected, all the way down to Josh Allen, who's 28th in completion percentage over expected over the last two years. Number 33 last year in deep ball completion percentage. We can just list stats all day about Josh Allen's inability to be efficient on the deep ball. So I started looking into this and said, how many more targets would Stephon Diggs need to be as effective as he was on the on the Vikings? And the answer was between three and five deep targets per game is really what he was going to need if we assume the same efficiency. Well, Josh Allen is right there. He throws about three pass deep passes more per game. I have no reason to believe that the volume of deep passes is going to do anything but increase for this team, especially if Smokey Brown is the other receiver across from Diggs. They still might be inefficient, but we only need one or two, especially against a Jets defense, to hit. That's right. I, I like Diggs coming into the year. I just want to make sure. I, I just want to see some efficiency there. 
and I'm a huge Devin Singletary guy. I really, I think Devin Singletary is really good. And it, it, it saddens me that he is not given the opportunity, whether it was last year with Frank Gore. Uh, and then when he started to pick it up, he rolled his ankle late in that game and every, everything went to shit. And, and it's unfortunate because when given the opportunities, Devin Singletary was, was really good. He averaged north of five yards per attempt last year. I remember in his first uh, game, uh, his first couple games, Matt, I was so blown away by this guy. In his first two games, he touched the ball um, 11 times, and 10 of those were 10-plus yard uh, plays. 10 of 11 of them went for 10-plus yards. He's awesome, man. Um, or I'm sorry, he touched the ball uh, 15 times, and I think like almost all of them went for 10-plus yards. You can go back and fact-check me on that, but he he's really good. He's efficient. He has good vision. He has good lateral agility. He can cut. He has decent burst. Like I just, it's a shame to me that now I'm hearing there's a uh, a running back competition and and Zach Moss. I know Ben Rasa, who's you know one of the more familiar faces here at Osmo, is a big college football guy and and he likes Zach Moss a lot. But even he said he's like I still love Devin Singletary. I just wish we were getting more out of him. Uh, but all of that brings me to this point or question, I should say, Matt. $5,400 for Singletary in a game that's projected to be low scoring, but also in one where they probably are in favorable field position often if the Buffalo defense does what they need to do, are probably going to have the ball a lot and are likely going to run the ball a lot. Is there merit to considering Devin Singletary at 5,400? 100%. Yes. Yeah, I think you, so. said, you said that the usage isn't what we would want it to be, especially as efficient as he was last year. Uh and going back to that met, uh, metric that I talked about, Antonio Gibson, the college true TD rate, he was fourth in that metric uh, over the last 20 years or 19 draft classes. Third was Devin Singletary. So if we're talking about hyped up young players, I mean, he's right up there with the very best of them. And I agree. I think if he were given more usage, all we would see is production. And just fundamentally, what we want to do is play running backs on huge home favorites. You know, maybe that's just all we need to say is we play the starting running back on a home favorite team against the Jets. Exactly. Right. No, no, no. You're, you're exactly right. Is there a possibility that he doesn't get the goal line work? And, 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 and there are some concerns here. Yeah, but I'm, I'm still interested in this. And by the way, there are some some things, even if you just pull up random notes on Singletary, I remember seeing this and I just pulled it up again now. Um, he fumbled four times. And I remember there was one big fumble in week 16, I think it was, or week 15, yeah, against Pittsburgh, where they, I think it was Devlin Hodges or who Devlin Hodges or Mason Rudolph, and they kept attempting deep balls and getting picked off in the end zone. It was a brutal experience for Pittsburgh uh, quarterbacks. And Devin Singletary because a close friend of mine had a lot of money on the line in one of our big dynasty leagues. And all he needed was like 0.8 more points from Singletary and he fumbled. And then he was oh. taken out of the game for the rest of the game, but he had 21 carries in that one. So yeah, the, the fumbling was a bit of an issue that can happen. And he wasn't great in pass protection, but these are things Matt that as young, young rushers, you can fix that. If you're efficient and you can learn how to hold on to the football, we've seen it happen many times. I'm I, I'm still on board. And by the way, 
both of those, four of those fumbles came in two different games. He had multiple fumbles in two games. So whatever, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm riding with Devin Singletary this year. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If you're wrong, you're wrong. But right now it makes some sense. What is his ownership, by the way? Oh, I don't have that up right now. I'll tell you right now. Yeah. Devin Singletary ownership. Oh, I have quarterbacks up here. Let's see. What do you think it is on DraftKings? Take a guess. Take a while. You can, be, you can be wrong. 7%? Way on? Yeah, that's nothing. Which speaks to what you were saying, too. Just the idea that they are a touchdown favorite at home. Well, at home, that doesn't mean anything. But a touchdown favorite against a bad team. Yeah. Let's move on. You ready? Let's do it. Vegas, Carolina. By the way, thanks to you guys for sticking with us this whole time. I know it's a long show, but we want to get it all taken care of. We want to hit on everything so you can come back and later maybe check out certain games that you missed. Uh, hit that thumbs up while you're at it if you're still here and haven't done so yet or if you're just joining us. Vegas and Carolina, what are we doing here with a game that I actually think has a ton of stack potential and, and a ton of intrigue on both sides of the field? This is actually my favorite matchup of the week just because it has so many new pieces that we get to see in terms of fantasy football. I, I love the high total in terms of probability of it being the highest total on the slate. It's right up there with the best of them. And I, I'm genuinely curious about this Matt Rule, Teddy Bridgewater, Joe Brady experiment. I've been joking all summer that the, the most exciting Brady in the NFC South is actually Carolina's Joe Brady. Uh, and not Tom, because I think <laughs> that this Carolina offense was just genuinely atrocious a season ago. And now they're they're integrating a lot of what Sean Payton knew from the New Orleans days. This LSU offense last year with Joe Burrow took the NCAA by absolute storm. And Matt Rule is no slouch. I think they've done a great job from ownership on down, giving him a seven-year contract, indicating that this is a process, indicating that this is a program, that they're trying to keep players here for the long haul. And we've seen with other franchises, the Eagles, the Patriots, of course, this kind of, the Ravens as well, this kind of mentality tends to trickle down to all your players. And Teddy Bridgewater was handpicked to run this offense due to Joe Brady's time spent with him in New Orleans. So the first thing right off the bat is that Teddy Bridgewater had just an abysmal air yards total per game last year. And if you factor those air yard per game numbers into projections for skill players on Carolina, things aren't going to look pretty. But I think the volume is what buoys that. I still think we see short, accurate targets to Samuel, Moore, and McCaffrey but I think the volume of passes completely shifts. And I actually said this in my matchups column. It's scary to say, but McCaffrey's ceiling in this offense is higher than it was the last two years with <laughs> a terrible quarterback play. It's crazy. Do you, do you think that do you um, in tournaments at the ownership he's currently garnering 20 plus percent right now, do you say, I don't even care? Like, it's just too good of a spot. He's in too good of a spot. At $10,000, I'm willing to do it. Uh, or are you going to kind of temper your exposure here a little bit based on how much you have to pay for him? Because the one issue with McCaffrey, and I agree, his ceiling is astronomical. 
The one issue is that like there's a lot of really fairly priced running backs this week. And if McCaffrey goes for 30 at 10K, you're probably not gonna want him in lineup. So how do we how do we compromise there? How do we come to terms with with the price point ownership, but also his immense opportunity and ceiling? Well, I certainly think it depends on what types of games and contests you're playing. It, obviously, if you're playing more cash contests, I don't know why you wouldn't take a, a large chunk of your pie of lineups and just say, these are my McCaffrey lineups. I don't know why you would do that. In tournaments, it's easier to move away, especially with the soft pricing of week one. But I, I mean, the guy is, is averaging seven for 58 and a half receiving in the last two years. <laughs> So we just, it just takes a lot to move away from him in cash, which is why he's absurdly priced and absurdly high owned. Yep. No, 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 no. You, you, look, all I'm saying is that there will have decisions will have to be made. And Christian, the, what you do with McCaffrey will be integral in how all of your, or how your roster construction looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt yesterday said play him in cash of course totally agree with that load him up in cash you're gonna have Gibson in cash you know you're gonna have pretty similar lineups but uh, in tournaments it's a decision that you'll have to make for yourself do you like okay Josh Engelman I, I think I mentioned this yesterday but it's important for you guys that missed it we went back he went back we talked about it uh, he went back and looked at how many uh, Christian McCaffrey lineups were in the top 0.1% of these tournament or uh, of the big tournaments between weeks, I think 13 weeks, maybe nine through 17. Either way, there were like nine weeks where McCaffrey was 10 K plus Matt. Uh, and we wanted to see how, how, how frequently was he the reason, or was he in those winning lineups? And you would be surprised that it was not that often that McCaffrey was. And the one week, week 13, that he was in most of them, he only had 17 points. So, um, between, here you go, between weeks 9 through 17, there was only one week that not having Christian McCaffrey really killed you. Uh, he was 44% on in week 13, and he was in 79% of the top 1% and one percent and, and 82% of the top 0.1%. But what's crazy, Matt, is he scored 17 fantasy points that week, so it must have just been that all of the, the low-priced players went off and the roster construction was all funneled similarly into the same lineups because it was so much to get to Christian McCaffrey. And I think you get a similar situation this week in that if you're playing McCaffrey, it's definitely going to force you on the sum of the same players. Not that it's a bad thing, but it is a thing. Right, right. And like you said, like the the McCaffrey-Gibson pairing is going to be extremely high-owned. And so you're just going to have to get creative, not cute, but creative, with how you differentiate yourself in tournaments with McCaffrey. And I think one of the ways you could do it here is with these new skill players in Oakland, if you're going to try to uh, run it back, if you will, with somebody on that side. I think uh, I wasn't as high on Henry Ruggs as a prospect, but then hearing how the GM of the Raiders and John Gruden, the coach, plan to use him sort of like a, a – essentially what they're planning for Will Fuller in Houston, where he's a speedster who's going to get a full route tree. I mean, you're talking, you're talking a really high ceiling. You're talking about a Tyree kill type player. If everything else goes right. And then you pair him with Brian Edwards, who was a really solid third round pick. He comps on player profiler to Corey Davis, essentially a perfect big number two receiver to add to Darren Waller 
and to Josh Jacobs in this in this game. It's one of those situations where Derek Carr has the best skill positions skill position players he's ever worked with, and there really isn't any excuse at this point in any is in at this point of his career to not produce at a better rate. Yeah, it's true. Uh, which leads me to oh, and by the way. When I talk about Christian McCaffrey like that, keep in mind, I love Christian McCaffrey. Even this week, I have no problems getting to him. I just want to uh, let people know that 30, 35 fantasy points from Christian McCaffrey is not always enough. Like like I said, only week 13 was that week where he was really necessary. In week 16, he had 35. He had 37 and a half in week 15. He had 34 in week 12, 33 in week 11. He had uh, 40 in week nine, and he was not the crux of, of your lineup or your winning lineups. So he could be, there's no doubt, but you can win without him. I'll leave it at that, Matt. And I'll go to, I'll go to, uh, to Josh Jacobs and let you wrap this game up. I want to make sure we're out of here by one. So, uh, you know, keep it, on, keep it at two hours. I think we'll be good to go. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. The only thing I'll add about Josh Jacobs is he, he really needed touchdowns to have big games. He only had 20 plus DraftKings points three times and had two TDs in all three games. So just keep that in mind. They say they're going to use him more in the receiving game. Uh, we'll see it. If will have to see it to believe it. Okay. Top options from this game. Obviously McCaffrey's in there. Uh, Does DJ Moore stand out to you? Henry Ruggs, you talked about. Josh Jacobs, who do we like on both sides if we're stacking here? I really like DJ Moore. DJ Moore averaged over 10 targets with Kyle Allen Allen. as his his quarterback. Uh, I think the sky's the limit for this receiver. Drafted in the first round to be an an all-purpose wide receiver. And I think that Bridgewater, as we saw, leans on his number one in a way that not many quarterbacks do. I mean, Michael Thomas was more than okay during Bridgewater's time as a starter in New Orleans last year. He went completely bonkers. So I'm high on DJ Moore in season long. I actually think that Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson are really great complementary pieces for the, the aforementioned DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey. And Ian Thomas, I know a lot of people have him as their key late, late round tight end. I don't know if we're going to see the same volume for Thomas, but with a relatively high A dot over seven and red zone usage, I think he has some play as well with basically no ownership. Okay. I don't know how much Darren Waller I'm going to get, but um, I do know that Darren Waller is supremely talented and the touchdown, I think you see positive regression off of only three touchdowns in like 1200 yards last year. Chargers. I, uh, the last thing I'll say about this game is I, I like to pay attention to what teams do and a team that had their tight end lead in receiving like Waller did doesn't usually go out and get a free agent tight end who's 38 years old and then draft a wide receiver in the first round and then draft another wide receiver in the third round. So Something there tells me that they don't want Waller to be as much of a focal point, but that takes nothing away from his talent. He was third in yards per route run and fourth in next-gen stats, yak over expectation. He's a beast. Yeah, look, those are all good points. Making, being able to spread the ball out more might not be a detriment to Waller. It might actually, you know, give him more opportunities. 
maybe a little bit less volume, a little bit more efficiency. We'll see. But yeah, maybe they don't. It's very possible they don't want this guy to be their number one. But to me, that makes sense. So uh, it doesn't scare me off too much. Three to go. Chargers, Cincinnati. Um, the LA Chargers are only favored by three points in this game. 42 point total. We'll start with the we'll start with LA with Tarod Taylor and and kind of work our way down. There's so many good talented options on this team. It's just a matter of whether or not Tarod Tarod Taylor can get them the football consistently. From Henry to Allen to Eckler to Williams, this is a pretty stacked team. Uh, their skill players are stacked. Quarterback, it's hard to say. Uh, and then even even by the way, somebody like Joshua Kelly has looked very good in camp. They've got a lot of mouths to feed and a lot of bodies. Do, against Cincinnati, should we be liking them more than the field is liking them? And we all know that the field is is scared off because of Taylor. It, it's a weird dynamic where if Taylor can just be decent, Matt, this is a, a game. I, this might be one of those games that if it's true, I said this on yesterday's show, if this game were to shoot out, nobody's going to look back and be like, wow, what a fluke. Uh, I got unlucky. Hashtag variance. No, there's AJ Green, there's Tyler Boyd, there's Joe Mixon, and then all of the players I just named for the Chargers. There's a lot of good players in this game, just not a lot of interest. Yeah, and it comes down to the quarterbacks, right? It comes down to the fact that we don't know anything about how Joe Burrow is as a pro, and we don't know how Tyrod Taylor is going to look as the leader of the LA Chargers. Now, one thing I will add is that not just as a rusher himself, but Tyrod Taylor led offenses in Buffalo were extremely efficient on the ground. They were first, first, and sixth in rushing yards, first, first, and 15th in rush yards per attempt, first, first, and 15th in rushing TDs. And LaShawn McCoy during that three-year span was an absolute monster, averaging 16.8 attempts for 76 yards and half a touchdown per game, including three receptions. So uh, part of that was with Anthony Lynn, his current coach. Part of it was with Greg Roman, now the mastermind be behind the Ravens' number one rushing offense. So they certainly don't have the rushing sex appeal as the Ravens. But this team could be easily the number two rushing efficiency team in the entire NFL, which would spell good things for Eckler and Josh Kelly, as you mentioned. Eckler without Melvin Gordon, I mean, he had workhorse level numbers last year. He had touch totals of 19, 21, 20, 19, 23, 16, 23. Uh, that's a bell cow. That's a bell cow in my opinion. And so as a favored team against a rookie quarterback, again, it's one of those fundamental things. Like maybe Austin Eckler is fundamentally underowned just by being a favorite in a high scoring game where he's going to get a ton of touches. Uh, that said, I still have concerns about his efficiency, his ability to run between the tackles. And I do have concerns about the passing game beyond Keenan Allen. We're not going to see the level of passing to Allen specifically that Rivers had, but he's still going to be fine. He's going to be a wide receiver one. Beyond that, though, I just don't see Taylor being able to boost up anyone else on a week-to-week -week basis. Okay, so on the other side, Joe Burrow... I wouldn't be shocked if he had a good game here, but it's going to be an uphill battle. Casey Hayward, Michael Davis will be uh, said to be your top corners. Darwin James, though, going down for the year, uh, hitting IR, is a huge deal. This guy is fantastic, and they lose him at the safety position. I, I Last year, the Chargers ranked 23rd in pass defense DVOA. 
but they were riddled with injuries, right? They got crushed by injuries in the secondary. Do they bounce back? And and is this going to be a far more efficient and, and lethal secondary in 2020 than it was in 2019? Well, when you lose someone like Derwin James, you your defense is just not the same. Period. It hurts. And I think that you see, you're going to see from a scheme perspective that they don't have the ability to play certain uh, schemes that they would have, including Derwin James either blitzing in coverage because of his absence. Um, I've seen some speculation that this is going to have, this is going to make Chris Harris, their newly acquired corner, move from his traditional slot role to a more outside or move around the field corner. And he did have worse PFF grades when he was an outside corner, but we're still talking about someone who's in the top third of cornerbacks overall. And then you got Hayward on the other side. So it's not an easy matchup at all for Boyd and Green. Burrow is in for it, man, in in terms of his first matchup. That said, like we've we've seen Burrow in his previous time at LSU, as well as Green just sort of overcome a bad situation. And have a QB one or wide receiver one upside nonetheless. Dude, they have some really good Chris Harris, Casey Hayward, Desmond King, Michael Davis. They've got a lot of really talented faces on, on, on their secondary. I, the, the only, the only thing I'll throw out there is like th- the thing I keep coming back to is, is sometimes talent on the opposite end can win out and, AJ Green, when healthy, is supremely talented. I mean, this guy is phenomenal. Uh, fantastic uh, after the catch. He's an amazing, uh, he's an amazing receiver when it comes to, to um contested balls. It's just he can never stay healthy. He's a full go for this game. He's 5,700. I, I would be remiss to, to not ask you at 5,700, is there any merit to looking to AJ Green or are we just getting too cute there? Absolutely, there's merit to him. I think he was averaging a, over 19 DraftKings points yeah. per game. By the way, and Matt, 1.7% projected ownership. 1.7 for A.J. Green at 5,700. This is such an easy person to add to your tournament pool then. Sure. It, it's it's so easy to get there for him. Maybe two or three deep targets, an end zone shot. And again, over 19 fantasy points in eight games in the 2018 season he went down. Also something I should mention is that Tyler Boyd's best production came during that time, which indicates that he might actually be better cast as a number two receiver. Um, it's one of those things where if you have AJ green on the field and a quality quarterback, like we're hoping Joe Burrow is it boosts everyone else and their ability to produce, including Joe Mixon, who after the bye week just saw his number of attempts skyrocket, his OC called him a volume carrier you know, if this does get a situation where they get out a little ahead and it's the total that we think it's going to be, then Mixon is going to be a great play as well. Okay. So you are, you like me are not shying away that much from Cincinnati. I'll have low exposure to these guys, but if if sometimes you just have to look at ownership, you have to look at price. uh, And when uncertainty surrounds a certain game, a lot of times it provides opportunity. So uh, I think we're on the same page there, Matt. Let's back this out. Two more to go. Woo. Man, I'm going to need a nap after this. <laughs> Tampa Bay. And I'm, look, first show, I'm, I'm impressed, man. Sticking with me. Punch for blow to blow. Punch to punch. Loving it. I love it. 
uh, you know, sometimes you got to have that endurance, right, on a 12-game slate to open up the season. We got to make it a marathon. Hey, if you don't have it on opening day, when are you going to have the endurance? Right, exactly. You're fired. Tampa Bay, New Orleans. This game is going to be very popular. Very popular. And for good reason to some extent, but I wouldn't be surprised if the ownership is too high here. 47 and a half total. It opened at 49 and a half, by the way. And the Saints are laying three and a half at, at home inside of the dome. It's Michael Thomas, it's Alvin Kamara, it's Drew Brees, and then you've got Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook. Uh, I, I do think you can actually make some, some arguments for someone like Manny Sanders in this game. Uh, Michael Thomas is very expensive. Never have a problem getting up to him uh, against the Tampa Bay team that was phenomenal in run defense last year, but struggled mightily to defend the pass. I have no problems with Michael Thomas. Uh, Alan Kamara, this is who I want to start with, though, and I asked the same to Matt and Kyle yesterday. Do you have some concerns that Alvin Kamara won't be able to get enough done on the ground to really fulfill his obligations as a 70, uh, as a, how much, $7,200 running back? Uh I don't know if I would say that I have concerns because of his ability on the ground, because so much of his fantasy football upside came from his ability in the passing game. What I'm more concerned about is him making people miss. And that was the bread and butter of his game and as a rookie and in his second year. But after his injury last year, his ability, his force missed tackle per touch rate cut in half. So whether he's on the ground or through the air, he needs to create those chunk plays, and that starts with forcing a missed tackle in the backfield or at the first line so he can get into that second level and really be effective. Um, that said, we've seen Sean Payton get creative with second and third running backs before. Um, even in Kamara's rookie year, he was the one being creatively used. I know that some beat writers in New Orleans have said that Ty Montgomery is going to have a special role this year. I guess what I'm really saying is no, I'm not as concerned about Kamara on the ground, especially with a high total. I think that you, you know, we look at it. We said Dalvin cook is one of those high probability to beat out Christian McCaffrey for top score. I think Kamara is up there as well. Okay. Um, do you like the Tampa Bay side at all? Because Godwin's a guy that in this spot usually always appeals to me. It, it, if Mike Evans is a go, he was questionable, but it appears that he's trending in the right direction. They're optimistic out there in Tampa. So is Bruce Arians. Uh, what we wasn't on the field though, during the, the portion of Thursday's practice that was open to the media. So I don't know, but I do know that last night there was word that he was going to play if he plays and Marshawn Lattimore is, is on him and shadowing him and making life miserable for him as we've seen in the past. It opens a lot up for Chris Godwin. If Evans doesn't play, then things become even more interesting and more concerning for Tampa Bay because it takes away one huge element of their offense that can neutralize a neuter and opposing defense because they have Godwin to pick up that extra slack. This is a big question mark going into Sunday for sure. Yeah, I think this is like the biggest question in terms of how I'm going to create my player pool uh, going into the weekend because if Evans isn't taking up Lattimore's uh, time and energy in the secondary, that means Lattimore gets to focus on Gronkowski, gets to focus on Godwin in the slot, gets to move around, and essentially makes life difficult for every other Buccaneer. Um, 
Evans and Lattimore are their battles are some of the best cornerback wide receiver battles we get. And so in terms of just being a fan, it would be a shame to not get it. But even at less than 100%, that's giving the Saints an advantage in an area where they really don't need one if you're their opponent. Uh, I, I definitely think that Godwin is going to see increased ownership, but at the same time, he might actually have a tougher time and a tougher matchup than if Evans were on the field. It might actually make me lean towards Gronkowski in a way that I wasn't planning on doing. And if Evans plays, I... I have to wonder if he's going to be limited. If he's not, you know, he's such a great contested catch, jump ball kind of receiver. How do you do that against one of the premier corners in the league with a bang hamstring? Right. Like, would Arians be willing to use him as a decoy in week one? That's a question that we don't have answers to yet. But uh, I, I like Godwin. Godwin, yards after the catch, phenomenal. Incredible route runner. Can, can line up anywhere on the field. I remember Arian saying last year he could be a 100-plus reception guy because we'll have him on the field for, for 100% of the snaps, right? And he had 86 receptions in 14 games. He could have easily posted 100 had he played all 16. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think Godwin's a, a solid option here, and, and I'm pretty excited to see what he can do with Tom Brady. Another thing, too, is if you're worried about Tom Brady and the deep ball, which I think might have been a little bit overblown given that his options last year were Nikhil Harry, who – did nothing of, of, of value and, and nobody else on the deep ball. If, if it, if it's gone this year where he's got a number of quality options, then we can talk. But with Chris Godwin, he doesn't need much. He just needs to get the ball to Godwin and let him put in the work after the catch, which is to me, what's so enticing. Do you want yeah. to round this game out, Matt, anything on either side that we haven't touched on and then we'll close it out. Yeah, uh, just to sort of finish up your point there, Arians is wide receiver one in four games versus Dennis Allen, the defensive coordinator of the Saints. The number one wide receiver, or number one receiver, I should say, has gone completely off. Uh, it's eight, eight and a half receptions for 118 yards and 1.25 TDs. That's 28.6 DraftKings points. If the volume were to funnel to Godwin, either because Evans is there in a decoy or he's not there at all, then, yeah, you're going to see Edelman-type numbers for Godwin with even more yak ability. That does a wide receiver one make, in my opinion. Yes, it does. All right, let's do it. Arizona, San Francisco, 12 of 12 here, Matt. Whew. All let's right, go. catch my breath, get it started, <laughs> close this out. 48.5 point total in this game. I was a little bit surprised by that. San Francisco laying seven points uh, at home, 48 and a half point total. It's the second highest on this slate. And well, San Francisco coming off a Super Bowl loss. They are pretty strapped at the wide receiver position. I, I don't know what we're going to see as far as Debo Samuel goes. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, is, is he the, the rookie? He didn't practice yesterday, neither did Debo. So these are questions that we'll have answered hopefully by tomorrow or Saturday. You would hope it's not that we have to wait till Thursday. If we at least get practice news on Friday, then it'll give us a better indication of what we're getting here. But I want to start with George Kittle because the opportunity cost is very high here. But if, if Cliff Kingsbury's offense is actually as good as many people are projecting it to be this season with Hopkins and Murray in his second year and Kenyon Drake returning and Christian Kirk and, an old but still competent Larry Fitzgerald. If that's the case, and they need to open up the offense 
and, and sorry, and 49ers need to open up the offense. Does George Kittle just get absolutely peppered with targets in this game? And is he worth the price? Or should we be looking at cheaper tight ends? I mean, that's how it would appear in games last year where San Francisco's opponents scored 20 or more points. Kittle averaged 9.1 targets a oh, game. Nice and stat there. Never less than seven. Uh, his totals are 8, 8, 17, 8, 7, and 7. So you, you mentioned the wide receivers being banged up. You mentioned the fact that there's a high total, and that usually spells great things for George Kittle. Here's a great stat that I also saw is that running George Kittle back with an opposing wide receiver can also pay off big time. Uh, it, they had over 25 points with Christian Kirk, over 45 points with Thomas of Michael Thomas, uh, a 29.4 Kittle game and a 41.4 Julio game. So there, there are some options here. And especially with Hopkins playing so little with Kyler Murray, there being some uh, concern that he's not hundred percent. I wonder if you could get Kittle and then another receiver, either Kirk or Hopkins at low ownership and really do some damage. Yeah, for me, it's Hopkins. Nice, nice, nice stats you pulled out there. I like that. Uh, and another thing, by the way, Matt, is Arizona, and I, I don't ever want to put too much weight on, like, the DVP, but they were brutal against tight ends last year. Like, historically bad against opposing tight ends. So that's just, you know, if you're on the fence, that's another way to do it. I just think that Kittle is is kind of in a unique spot here because they're, they're, a, they're a pass or a rush-heavy team but they're dealing with so many injuries to the passing t- to the in the passing game that when they it's not like they can run 100% of their plays on the ground there has to be you know some compromise here and Kittle is getting a little bit of ownership 10.9% but I still find them interesting and I love the idea of running it back with Hopkins because you know normally you'd say oh okay should we be worried about Sherman uh is this something that that is going to be that is going to crush him well Manuel Mosley is good no question, but Sherman stays on one side of the field the whole time. DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best in the league at pretty much lining up from wherever you need him. Last year, he lined up 40% of the time on the left side, 36% of the time in the slot, and 24% of the time on the right side. So if there's someone that's, that, that has uh, it, it, it is uniquely qualified to line up anywhere to combat an opposing defense's scheme, Hopkins is that guy. Wouldn't be shocking to see a, a Kittle and, and Hopkins combination finish really finish really well on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing we should also mention is that Arizona and their offense gave the San Francisco defense, the championship-level defense, fits last year. I know. They, 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 they lost on that last drive of the game, I believe, in the last meeting they had together. Yeah. A long Andy Isabella touchdown, if I'm That's not mistaken. That's what it was, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Arizona scored 25 and a half points per game versus San Francisco. I mean, uh, these are games in the against the top half of the NFL in defensive defici- defensive efficiency. They scored 25 and a half versus San Francisco, 16 versus everyone else. So the quality of the offense just seemed to kind of explode during these divisional games. And Kyler Murray's best and third best passer rating games were against San Francisco this year. So there, I don't know if it's something about the scheme that they play or maybe just randomness, but Kyler had fantastic luck against them. And now you add Deandre Hopkins to the mix. You know, the one thing I'll say too, is I know we're going back to George Kittle. We've talked plenty about him already, but 
fundamentally, we don't always have this type of volume certainty at the tight end position. And so while there is high ownership there, I, I completely understand it. You just don't, you just don't get that volume usually from that position. And especially on the slate, most other tight ends, you, you have to make an argument for why with Kittle, there's a reason not to happen. Yeah. Great stuff, man. I'll leave, I'll leave it at this on this game. I actually like the idea of running a Arizona stack and coming back with, with George Kittle. Somebody said uh, in chat that San Francisco gets routed. Well, if you think San Francisco gets routed, then you should have all of the Kittle in the world. Like, if you think they're going to give up a ton of points and get smoked and they're going to have to pass and play from behind, Kittle's got to be your guy specifically in this matchup. Uh, but yeah, a whole like Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk run back with Kittle kind of sounds sexy to me, Matt. 12 games up and down. We made it happen. Thanks to all of you guys for sticking around this whole time. We continued to gain viewership throughout a two plus hour show, which is pretty amazing. And uh, we appreciate everyone for hanging out as always. If we could get those likes up to 200 before we head out, that'd be even more appreciated. We got a lot of more content coming up throughout the day. So stay tuned. It is your one-stop shop for daily fantasy content. Coming up next, for those of you wondering, the MMA DFS strategy show with Jason Floyd and Pete the Heat Rogers, and the NBA Live Before Lock show with Josh and Ryan. And then, of course, MLB Live Before Lock with Emac and Jake. Closing it out, NFL Live Before Lock, the first one of the season. It's Chiefs, it's Texans, it's Alex, Osimo Baker, and Kyle Dvorak closing the night out for you right here at Osimo.com. See you soon.